0: opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You want more? Are you happy? It's okay.
1: We are doing a sound check now. Just waiting for Ezra to do his thing. Okay, we are sound checking. We are checking the sound. Ezra's pushing buttons and twisting things and we're seeing how the sound is. Hello, good, hello. Good morning everyone, how are you all doing? Testing check one, two. Um, Normally we like read a Bible passage and test the sound. Mm. Right, how's that? We good? Who's, uh, who's seen uh, Oppenheimer or, or Barbie? Both excellent films. The double feature. Barbie, Barbie, but, <laughs> Barbie was an absolute masterpiece. Like, I don't care what anyone says. I, I had a great time watching that film. Oppenheimer was not so fun, but still an excellent film and just in a very different way. Another Christopher Nolan masterpiece. He is a genius. Oh, yes. We're just just getting ready for the real summer blockbuster, the Meg 2, back for seconds. What? I mean, with Jason Satham and a shark, I mean, you you thought you can't get better, but it's got dinosaurs. Wow. Incredible. No, I haven't actually... I saw, like, posters, but I haven't actually watched the trailer for it, so definitely going to check that out. Mm. What else is coming out this year? Oh, there's the, the Willy Wonka-like prequel thing. I don't... Yeah, but I just, like, do we really need it? Like, why does everyone need an origin film these days? Like, it's all prequels and remakes, like, nothing original. Well, apart from Oppenheimer and Barbie. Um, yeah. Really the equalizer three. I mean, come on. Denzel Washington. Like, can't thanks, complain. Thanks, David.
0: You're good. Cool.
2: Well, good morning. As uh, David was saying, this is the third David in a row. So this is uh, Hope City. We are the Daves are taking over. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there lived a young boy. For the sake of argument, let's call him David. Actually, it wasn't that long ago, it was about 1973, and the country wasn't that far away either, it was Northern Ireland. This young fellow's birthday was on the distant horizon, and he'd set his sights on a new bicycle. It'd grown too big for the bike he had, and there was one particular bike that he had set his heart on. Now, he knew it wasn't cheap, and his family weren't that well off. But he reckoned if he could just persuade his parents to buy it for him, he was convinced that it would make him the coolest kid in the neighborhood. Would you like to see it? (laughs) This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is a Mark II rally chopper. Isn't it a thing of beauty? Look at that big, luxurious bench seat and those amazing curved handlebars. And the gear stick, not on the handlebars, but right in the middle, just like a car. It was the coolest thing in 1973. Now, if I stood any chance of getting my Mark II rally chopper, I needed to do two things. I had to start asking well in advance of my birthday, and I had to take every chance I could to remind my parents. Uh, That's a rather inadequate illustration on lots of levels, but as we turn to the passage of the Bible we're going to be thinking about this morning, it also is about asking and receiving, specifically by asking in prayer, and it's about not giving up. So before we explore this together, I'm going to ask Andrew if he would come and read the passage for us.
0: Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him?
2: If you've been with us at Hope City for any length of time, then you'll know that we've been working our way steadily through a portion of the Bible that comes from one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. In In the book that bears his name, Matthew has recorded for us some important teaching which Jesus gave to his disciples on one occasion when they were up a mountainside. Today, because of that, it's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And for the past few months, we've been exploring what Jesus said and attempting to draw it from the text what we can apply for today. We've given the series the title Jesus' Blueprint for His Kingdom of Transformed Hearts. Let me remind you what a blueprint is. One dictionary explains it like this. A blueprint is a plan or a design that explains how something might be achieved. And that, in essence, is what Jesus has been doing, explaining what it looks like to be part of God's kingdom and how his followers should live as kingdom dwellers. This morning we are coming towards the end of the sermon and Jesus is returning to a subject which he has already spoken about earlier and at some length, the subject of prayer. If you flick back in your Bibles, prayer was first mentioned in chapter 6. Jesus there calls out the hypocrites, <laughs> criticizing them because they love to be seen praying, parading their own piety to anyone willing to listen. Not only that, he accuses them of babbling, using lots of words in a bid to impress other people. By contrast, Jesus commands his followers, or commands his followers, to go into their rooms, away from prying eyes, to shut the door, and to commune with their Heavenly Father. And part of prayer is most certainly about spending time alone with God simply as an expression of fellowship with him and to enjoy his presence. Then Jesus went on to give his disciples his model prayer. It's on the wall over there, and we studied that over a number of weeks. We thought about how radical it must have seemed to his hearers to be told to address God as Father. And we saw that Jesus focused the first part of his prayer on God and only then on people. So now, having addressed a range of issues in between, Jesus returns to the subject of prayer. At first glance, you might think that there's quite a leap from the verses we looked at last week, which were all about judging other people. But I think there is a link. It seems natural, I think, that Jesus should move on from exploring our relationships with our fellow men and women to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. After all, if we are not to judge others, if we are to be discerning and helpful without being hypocritical, then we most certainly need God's divine wisdom and grace, for it's impossible otherwise. Let's look first at verses seven and eight. Jesus gives us these instructions and promises, and because he wants to impress them on our minds, he uses three verbs that convey a sense of urgency, of clarity and wholehearted persistence. Ask, seek, knock. They are like three blows of a hammer. Jesus wants it to get in through our thick skulls. Now, it's important to recognize that these three verbs are all in what's called the present imperative tense. Now, I have to admit, grammar was never my strong point at school, but what it means is that this is not just a one-off action. Literally, Jesus is saying, keep on asking. Don't stop praying. Keep on knocking. We've got to be persistent. In other words, you don't go once to God and ask and then forget about it. You don't seek him for a moment and think it's done. Rather, it is ask and go on asking seek and go on seeking keep on doing it make this asking seeking and knocking the pattern of your life Jesus says make it the framework of every day the writer Don Carson in his commentary on these verses puts it this way This asking is an asking for the virtues that Jesus has just expounded. This seeking is a seeking for God. This knocking is a knocking on heaven's throne room. It is a divinely empowered response to God's open invitation. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let me return briefly to my chopper. My appeal to my parents for a new bicycle wasn't some vague, half-hearted request. No, I wanted it. My mind was most definitely engaged and my will was most definitely focused. I would really, really like that bike and I'm asking for it as best as I know how. And my birthday's coming up, by the way. (laughs) And that was just for a bicycle. In the same way, Jesus wants us to come to God, not with a bunch of vague generalities, but with an attitude that says, Father, I'm here today to ask about this thing which is on my mind. I need your help, for I cannot make sense of it on my own. I'm at a loss to know what to do. I need to talk to you about it again. It's no coincidence, that the very first words of Jesus' sermon were these, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here is a key. Those who come to God in such a condition and with such a mindset, recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. There's nothing they can do to earn a place in God's kingdom. And so they come with an eagerness to God And they come rejoicing in the very fact that Jesus invites them to ask, seek, and knock. Let me pause for a moment. Perhaps this morning I'm speaking to someone who hasn't been a Christian for very long. All this talk about persistence, about asking again and again, might seem a bit strange. You've been saved. You are united with Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into God's family and you have a sure and certain hope for eternal life. Yes, that is all true and it's wonderful. But you are also in a spiritual battle. And until you reach heaven, things may not be that easy. And there will be plenty of occasions when you might be tempted to give up altogether or doubt the truth of what you've been told. Jesus says one of the hallmarks of the Christian life is dogged, faithful, persistence. You've got to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. What if you've been a follower like me of Jesus for a very long time? Is this type of persistent, focused prayer true of you? I confess that if I'm honest, it's all too often not true of me. How long do I persevere in my prayers for something or for someone? How often do I pray like this every day? Even this week, as I've been thinking about this morning, God has been challenging me about my attitude to prayer. Is it central or is it just an add-on? We can't ignore what Jesus is saying to us this morning. It's serious stuff, for it speaks to the very heart of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But secondly, did you notice what Jesus promises will be the result of such persistent asking, seeking, and knocking? I've highlighted some words to make the point. There's no uncertainty here. What do we make of it? Is Jesus giving us a blank check? Can you ask God for anything and manipulate the answer? Are those who say all you have to do is name it and then go ahead and claim it, Are they teaching a level of spiritual experience that many of us have just never discovered? Or are they actually teaching something that is contrary to the Bible? Certainly out of context, these verses might make great wall slogans. But we need to be careful. Does this kind of triumphalism match up with the rest of Scripture? Or indeed, is it even in harmony with the rest of this sermon? The answer is clearly no. The very idea is ridiculous. It would turn prayer into a kind of magic. The person who prays into some sort of Aladdin and God into the genie who appears instantly to do our bidding. To discover what Jesus really means, we only have to turn back a few verses where he tells his disciples, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And let's not forget the words of his model prayer where he tells us your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no getting away from it. We've come again to this blueprint for a kingdom of hearts transformed from the inside out, where our motives are centred on God and his kingdom and not on ourselves. We've looked at the son's promises. Now I'd like to turn to the rest of the text and let's look at the father's response. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Anyone who prays is bound to want to know to what kind of God they are praying. For it stands to reason that we will frame our requests according to what we understand of the character to whom we're addressing. So honestly, can I ask you this morning how you imagine God? Do you ever imagine him as reluctant, from whom every gift has to be coerced? Do you ever fear if God answered your prayer what it might lead to? Or although you might never say it, do you ever think that God takes some sort of malicious glee from seeing his children squirm. For if that's your view of God, it stands to reason you're not going to ask him for very much. And so Jesus, in these next three verses, expounds in what he's been saying through the use of a simple illustration. The picture is straightforward, and one even his disciples, who could be very slow at times, would understand. Your son comes to you asking for some bread. Would you hand him a stone and say... True on that, it'll do you just as good. Or if he comes asking for a fish, would you pass him a snake and say, try that with a bit of butter on the side, but just watch out for the fangs." On the face of it, a round-shaped stone might look a bit like a bread roll, and a snake might just resemble a slippery eel. But the point is clear, When your child asks for something wholesome, would you give him something inedible or positively dangerous? No, of course you wouldn't. Human parents, Jesus says, even though they are evil, selfish and sinful by nature, and all of whom fall short of God's standards, they still love their children and they want to give good gifts to them. But the force of the illustration lies in the contrast between the lesser and the greater between human parents with all their limitations and our heavenly father a father who is supremely loving kind good powerfully able and more than willing to shower us with good things a god who knows the end from the beginning a father who is my best interested heart who has a plan for my life which is far superior to mine and when we remember that we've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters, to enjoy the very same love that Jesus has always known, that fact alone must surely prevent us from thinking that we might have to work our way into his favor. It may be today you feel that your heart is cold, your love is weak and your prayers are shabby but what matters is that united to Christ and in him, you are a cherished son or daughter. And your father delights to hear you. So what are the good gifts that our father wants to give us if we ask him? What are God's desires for us? Surely if we knew what God wanted for us, then we could ask for these things with complete and total confidence that would transform our prayer life, I think, wouldn't it? If you're a child of God today, part of his worldwide family, what is God's best desire for you? That you be conformed to the image of his son. That day by day, little by little, you become more like Jesus. The Bible calls it sanctification. Here's how the apostle Paul describes it in the book of Romans. And I've taken the message translation because I think the words are lovely. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, which is always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out for you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And how can we do that? Um, Well, certainly we can't do it on our own. Our chief helper and supreme gift in prayer is God, the Holy Spirit. He is the perfect counselor who is with us forever and who testifies with our spirits that we are God's children, helping us to cry, Abba, Father. In another part of the same book, Romans, Paul puts it this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God and isn't that what this sermon has been all about About building a kingdom of transformed hearts which increasingly shape us into the likeness of Jesus a kingdom that is radically different that is not conformed to the pattern of this world, whose values are first and foremost God-centered and not self-centered. God will always answer prayers that build up his kingdom of righteousness. So let me try and be practical for a moment. You can take your Bibles and look back through this sermon. Let's think about what we heard last week are you prone to judging others does it bother you if you are speak to god about it that's a prayer god will be happy to answer keep on asking or perhaps you struggle with anxiety and worry which david Mensch talked to us about a fortnight ago god is your heavenly father who loves you god doesn't want you to be anxious seek his help so that you can trust him more fully even though your circumstances Might seem overwhelming. Ask Him to grant you His peace, which transcends all understanding. Keep on seeking. It might take time, but that is a prayer God delights in. Or going back, looking into chapter 5, maybe it's lust that constantly drags you down, convincing you that God won't want to hear from you. Knock on Heaven's door. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He has promised to provide a way out so that you can cope with it. Pray about it in the sure and certain knowledge that God can help you overcome it. It is a good thing and God longs to answer. Keep on knocking. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you might be thinking, well, what on earth has this all got to do with me? This message is for you as well we've been thinking about good gifts the greatest of all gifts is jesus christ god so loved the world the world which he created but which we spoiled and ruined he so loved us that he sent his one and only son jesus to die for you and me god has a plan for the world and for you it is a plan he thought up before the foundation of the world And in this plan, God has been working to save and adopt into his family people from every nation. He desires that no one should die without Jesus, but that everyone should put their faith in him. He is waiting patiently. Today is an opportunity to turn away from your sin and turn to God. Today, you can be part of God's kingdom. Let me close. Thanks for listening. My big takeaway, God wants to give good gifts to his children. Jesus calls us to ask, seek, and knock with commitment and persistence. And in case you're worried, I did get the bicycle. This morning, we're going to be doing something a little different. As Dave said earlier, normally at this point, we'd have a time of questions. This morning, we're going to forego that. We've been thinking a little bit about prayer, and here at Hope City, we've made it a goal that if someone shares something with you, we respond with, let's pray now. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next three minutes or so in silent prayer. This is a time for you to spend with your Heavenly Father, free of distractions. Perhaps there's something I've said this morning that's been a challenge and you need to talk to God about it. Perhaps you just need to tell God you love him and thank him for all the good gifts he's given you. Maybe you want to look back through Jesus' sermon and speak to God about an aspect of your life that needs sorting out. At the same time, I'm going to put some words of a prayer up on the screen. There's nothing special about them. There's no magic formula. It's a prayer of confession and repentance. If God has been speaking to you this morning, then please pray this prayer. God is attentive to everyone who cries out to him. So let's have a time of quiet, silent prayer, and I'll finish in a few minutes' time, and then Ellen will lead us in a song, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to speak to you. Please take our prayers and answer them according to your perfect will. In the name of Jesus, amen. Did you pray that prayer? If you did, let someone know. You've joined a new family, and we'd love to welcome you in to help you take your first steps in this new life. Speak to a Christian friend speak to me or one of the other leaders after the gathering and if you're online i think there's a button you can click to connect with us too i'm now going to hand over to ellen for a song